All right, we are in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, uh, and we are focusing really on the last week of, of the life of Jesus. Um, uh, and uh, this week, uh, I'm focusing on Judas, and I want to prove to you that Jesus was fully in control of all the events of that last week, fully in control. And I think that you'll see it by the time we get to the end of this lesson. So we'll start with verse 1. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. So now Jesus, as we know, is in the Garden of Gethsemane, in that garden, garden grove of, uh, uh, just outside of Jerusalem. And so uh, we see the entire last week of Jesus' life now coming into focus as Jesus is facing terrible, dark days, uh, the worst days that any human being will ever face, as the forces of evil, Satan himself, will be arrayed against them to try, if they can, to keep him from going to the cross. That was the work of the enemy. Don't let him go to the cross. Anything but the cross. Don't let him be a substitutionary sacrifice for mankind. Let mankind continue to be lost. Uh, And so I want you to understand that even before you get to chapter 18, you see Jesus orchestrating the events uh, in this uh, last week of his life as far back as chapter 12. Uh, And one of the things that I've studied here, which I did not realize before, is I did not realize how close in time the raising of Lazarus was to Palm Sunday. I did not realize that until I studied several commentaries. And so Effectively, uh, uh, what I've learned is that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and this is in Bethany. Bethany is about uh, four miles from Jerusalem. He raises Lazarus from the dead on a Friday. There is a celebratory dinner at, the, at Lazarus' home on Saturday. Well, there are countless people, hundreds of people who were coming there uh, and celebrating Jesus. And then Jesus comes into Jerusalem right? The four-mile walk into Jerusalem on Sunday, on Palm Sunday. I had never realized that before, uh, that that was actually uh, the the events as as Jesus orchestrated them. So I want you to understand this. Jesus orchestrated all of this so that when he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it would be immediately before the Passover. The Passover is coming. It's the following week. And so Jesus knew the scripture. Jesus knew everything that the scripture had had written about him. And he wanted, and God the Father wanted it, he wanted the Jewish people to recognize that Jesus' death is going to be aligned almost identically with Passover, which it should be. Because for thousands of years, the Jews sacrificed uh, the lambs uh, as the Passover substitutionary sacrifice. Now, Jesus, once and for all, would be that sacrifice for all mankind. Uh, and so you see this coming together. And so um, as Jesus had come into Jerusalem on Sunday, uh, two days after he resurrected uh, Lazarus from the dead, and so Jesus is preparing his disciples for the end. He's orchestrating this. He's in control of all events. And so what will happen now in this next week will be the arrest the trial, the condemnation, the crucifixion, and then ultimately the resurrection. Quite a week, quite a week. And so 
Uh, as John relates his version of the story, and you know, uh, John's uh, gospel has focused on the theological aspects of the divinity of Jesus Christ. And there's no question about it. That's why I believe uh, it's one of the greatest books of the Bible. It's why we spent several years studying it, because I believe when you're a Christian, this becomes a bedrock fundamental principle of who you are, why we are Christians. Uh, and so John now is uh, somewhat deviating from the theological aspect and telling the historical aspect, but the historical aspect ties in to the theological aspect. Uh, and so his enemies are out to destroy him. The religious elite want Jesus dead. He must go. And now you can understand even more so why they are so exercised against Jesus. He just raised a man from the dead. You can imagine what this is like. The thousands of people that hear this. This man raised someone from the dead. That has never been done before. And so now the throngs come out. Now the throngs come out. And Jesus walks in on Palm Sunday and they're going, Hosanna, Hosanna, the Messiah. And the religious elite are boiling in anger because they see everything that they had controlled suddenly being taken away from them. And so the forces of evil recognize that Jesus must die. Jesus must be removed from the scene. And so we talk about this in all the other gospels. You get a lot of background in the other gospels that you don't get with John. Uh, but now you know that Judas is the one who will betray Jesus, as all the other gospel writers know it. Uh, and so we, we see that he, in his activity to betray Jesus, he deals with the chief priests. And as a result of dealing with the chief priests, they will arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and Judas' conspiracy with the chief priests make it all possible. But what about the role of Judas? And I want to focus on that lesson today. What about the role of Judas? Why was Judas and his betrayal necessary at all? for the chief priests. Uh, and typically, historically, and probably in your own Sunday school in the past, you, usually you get two answers on that. Either that Ju Judas was necessary in order to lead the arresting party to Jesus' hiding place in the last few days. In other words, Jesus is hiding out, uh, and Judas has to bring them there. Or else, Judas was necessary in order to assure that a secret arrest took place because of the leader's fear of the people. And that's generally what you've, what you've heard and what you've studied. But I want to uh, indicate to you today that that is not as clear a conclusion as one might suppose. And there are theologians now, who, based on research and thinking and writing, uh, come up with a different analysis on this. Uh, and, and if you do that, you will really come to a different conclusion. Uh, because here's the, the first fact. Jesus could not be more open about where he was. It was as if Jesus in this last week openly put himself out there so that they would see where he was because Jesus is bringing this to a conclusion. So think about it. You want to be more open? How about raising a guy from the dead? That's pretty good, right? You think that'll draw some attention to you? I would say yes. All right, this is now, he, ra he raises Lazarus from the dead on a Friday, all right? Then they have this celebratory dinner at the house of Lazarus. Hundreds of people are there. Uh, that's Saturday. Now Sunday, Palm Sunday, he comes in, and there are thousands of people putting palms down. Is that openly enough? You open enough to where he is? He's not hiding. 
He's not in hiding. And so what he does is he spends these last several days basically commuting between Jerusalem and Bethany. All right? Uh, a couple miles walk. So to say that Jesus is in hiding is absurd. He's not in hiding at all. Um, and, and, he, and he's absolutely uh, open. And yet the point was that Jesus knew before that his hour had not yet come. Turn to John chapter 11. And now some of these events come more into a focus because John chapter 11, that's the, in the 11, uh, the chapter with Lazarus, all right, where he's raised. And by the way, I want you to read uh, what happens after Jesus raises Lazarus. Uh, uh, look at verse 45, John 11, verse 45. And so you see the whole temperature rising. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. That's hundreds of people now. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miracle, miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. It's all about me. It's all about me, all right? It's all about me. This is the religious elite. Verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Underline that, that, that verse. Here is the Jewish high priest, the leader of the religious elite, who is plotting to kill Jesus, yet out of his words will come the very sentiment as why God sent Jesus to this world. You don't realize that it. it's better that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Isn't that the very reason that Jesus came? Better than one man die on the cross than all of us perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Okay. They plotted to take his life. Now, this is the week before, for sure. This is the week before, for sure. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. And so that's effectively what's going on here. But the moment he had arrived in Bethany from Jericho on the Friday preceding his crucifixion, he made no attempt at that moment to, to conceal his movements at all. He walked around openly, made himself openly available, uh, and did not uh, evade arrest. So on Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem with a great displays, while those who are out there in the city greet him with Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. Uh, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, he travels back and forth between Jerusalem and Bethany. Under these circumstances, how could it be that the leaders of the people, the religious elite, needed Judas? What did they need Judas for? They knew where Jesus was. He wasn't secreting himself. He was making himself openly available. Why? Because Jesus wanted the events to come to a conclusion before Passover. That's why. All right. He wanted it to come to a conclusion, as did God. So he wasn't hiding. It was time. It was the time of the call of the sacrifice. 
Why would they then have been willing to pay Judas money to tell them where Jesus was? Doesn't make sense. They didn't need Judas to do that. All right. Uh, And obviously, if they had felt free to arrest Jesus, the the, uh, leaders, the religious elite could have done so in Jerusalem at nearly any unguarded moment. He's there uh, on Sunday. On Palm Sunday and probably Monday as well, he's there. And probably even on Tuesday as he's beginning to travel back and forth between Jerusalem and Bethany. He was freely and openly available for arrest. He was not hiding. It was time. It was his time to be sacrificed. And so it's this point that we that the common explanation of Judas' role really needs to be examined. Uh, and, and, and that is to affect the arrest of Christ in secret for fear of the people for fear of the people. But this is at best, really, as I write in the outline, a half-truth. It's a half-truth. True, there were undoubtedly some real fear of the chief priests that the, that the, that the people might rise up. That was possible, uh, but there, there, was, there, there might be a fear of a disturbance that would occasion the Roman army to step up and interface with them, possibly, uh, but, uh, uh, and then even possibly even more so, there was a greater fear uh, that the people might actually believe in Jesus, which we just went through that, those verses, that, 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 uh, that doing what they would do would give rise to letting people believe for sure this is the Messiah. Uh, and so out of that, out of all those issues, the decision to kill Jesus comes to a head, comes to an arrest. So, this suggests that there were even more important reasons why they hired Judas. Why did they pay Judas? Uh, And most likely, as I write in the outline, and most likely, which I believe is the truth, most likely there was a deep and potent fear, a fear that explains all of the hesitancy uh, and vacillation until a message is received that Jesus himself is ready to die. You understand? Judas had heard Jesus say, it is time for the son of man to be sacrificed. It is time for for me to die. All right. Jesus tells the disciples. And so finally, when Judas hears this, oh, Jesus is ready to die. Jesus is acknowledging that he's ready to die, that he will give up. He runs off. He runs off to the religious elite and tells him he's going to give up. He's not going to oppose you when you go to arrest him. That's why they pay Judas the money. Because now they see their great fear of Jesus, this man who can raise people from the dead, this man who can feed 5,000 people with five loaves and seven fish, this man who can do this is now willingly going to give himself up to us. Uh, And so uh, they clearly, clearly understood that from Judas that Jesus was going to give himself up. And so what they wanted now was Judas to accompany them and effectively embrace Jesus in this role of peace, in this role of peace. And as he embraces Jesus and kisses Jesus, Jesus will then give himself up. It will be worth it for all this to take place. Uh, and, and so they could then put all their actions uh, into force. Uh, and so I want you to understand this. 
Uh, and so that you so that you understand this, Jesus is fully in control. All right. If Jesus didn't want to be arrested, he wouldn't have been been parading in such a public way. All right. And Judas is only in this because Judas now recognizes he's going to give in. And so they're fearful of Jesus. They're afraid of him. And that's why you wonder, and I always wondered, why would they go with six or 700 guards? Why are they going with six or 700 guards to go and arrest Jesus? Do you ever wonder about that? Because they were afraid of him. You understand this? They were afraid of him. It was the fear of knowing that this man had some kind of power. And then you have to say to yourself, well, if they knew that he had that kind of authority and power, why didn't they believe in him? And I want you to see again how, how, how God shows us how when your heart is not open, that even though your mind sees things, your heart will not accept it. And this is what happens. This is what evil does. It occludes the heart. All right, it occludes the heart. the heart. The heart becomes hardened. You see this in many aspects of the Bible. We saw that with, with uh, 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 the Egyptian leader, uh, Pharaoh. Uh, then here he saw all of, the, all of the plagues, the 11 plagues, and the, Egypt is decimated, and he still would not give in. Still would not give in. That's what evil is like. All right, that's what evil is like. And so you see this here. Uh, they were fearful of Jesus. Um, even as early on, they did, did not acknowledge that he had the power to do miracles. I want you to turn to June, John chapter 9. I want you to see how this all evolves because this is all important. John chapter 9. This is early on. And Jesus uh, heals the blind man. Remember this. Uh, and the blind man uh, uh, comes, uh, we're talking here about uh, June chapter 9, verse 23. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already they, the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And this is where they had asked them, who did this to you? And they said, we don't know. Who healed you? We don't know. Uh, verse 23, that was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Relating to, Je to Jesus. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? <laughs> oh man, you, you want the secret formula? You think it's a secret formula? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? That did it. All right. That did it. Now he's a comedian. Verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Well, there it is. There it is. So you see that this is in the beginning part of his ministry. They refuse to acknowledge the power. They refuse to acknowledge uh, the miracles. But now, mm, a little different. Now they know where this guy goes, things happen. Where Jesus walks, the world changes. Uh, and so now they're afraid. 
not yet willing to fall in submission before God himself, yet fearful because they will lose their position, they will lose their authority. And I want you to understand something, folks. God is speaking to us today about this, all right? He is shaking us up. We want to be able to understand we need to submit to God. We want to submit to God because sometimes we're so stuck in our own way of traditions. That's what these Jewish leaders were. They were worshiping the traditions and the rituals. They were worshiping Moses when the man who created Moses was walking around with them. I mean, it's just an unbelievable story. Uh, and so God is speaking to us today. Say, look, it's not about your rituals or your traditions or your background. Bow in submission before the living God. Bow in submission before the living God. And so you see this here. Uh, and now they're fearful. They see this Jesus. They see what's happening. And now they want him gone. And so Judas is that accommodating force who now says to him, he's ready to give up. He's going to give up. You can now go and arrest him. You can now do it. Uh, and so they had already tried to do this at least three separate times. Uh, previously, on one occasion, and this again shows you that Jesus is in control. Because if Jesus were not in control, uh, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus is in control, allowing the events to come to a, a conclusion. On a previous occasion, a body of officers, who were probably temple guards, were dispatched by the chief priest to take him. Uh, and after a while, they returned with their task undone. Uh, and, and they were told, why did you not bring in Jesus? What's wrong with you people? Turn to John chapter 7. I want you to see when Jesus would not allow himself to be taken, how, how God interfaced with that. John chapter 7, verse. let's look verse, at verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering, and they're whispering that this is the Christ, such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Go out and arrest him. Now, I love this next uh, passage in Scripture. Because I want you to see what happens when, when ungodly men come face to face with the Christ. Uh, here they are, the temple guards sent out to arrest Jesus. Now they come back, they don't have Jesus. Look at verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Look at the answer. No one ever spoke the way this man does. The guards declared. Imagine that. No one ever spoke the way this man does. Here they are, ungodly people, all right, all right, temple guards, you recognizing, sent out to do a job, go back and arrest Jesus. And what do they say? No, we can't arrest him. No one ever spoke like this man does. Verse 47, you mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees resorted. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, underline that. Have Look at us. He hasn't deceived us. We haven't bought his line. No, you have not because you're sold out to evil. But if you're not sold out to evil, if you have an open heart, then the words of Jesus come back like a sword. Uh, and But they said, no, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. This mob that knows nothing of the law. Again, do you see how they do it? They elevated the law. They elevated the rituals. They elevated the traditions. And God himself walks among them and they can't recognize him. They can't recognize him. So there it is. They try to arrest him uh, without avail. Then at the end of chapter 8 of John, 
again, a move was made against Jesus, this time to, to try to stone him. Uh, and again, they could not capture him. They could not stone him. Uh, and let's look at this, verse 54, just to show you again. They tried a second time to arrest Jesus. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Boy, you got to love Jesus, don't you? I love the transparency. I just love the transparency of God. Uh, and, and, and so you see him. He's not trying to be a politician. He tells him exactly what the truth is. You're a liar. You're a liar. I'm not a liar. I'm telling you, uh, I'm not a liar. Uh, I know God. I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, verse 56, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. How do you like that? An acknowledgement that Abraham uh, saw the coming day of Jesus Christ. All right? Meaning that he saw it even in this world, and I believe he saw it in the next world as well. And he rejoiced at the coming of Jesus Christ, the very Messiah who would save the entire Jewish nation. All right? What wonderful words. Now look at the response. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham. They're lost. They have no spiritual discernment whatsoever. Here Jesus is talking on a high spiritual level, and they're talking as if Jesus is talking physically, being there when Abraham was walking this earth. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Underline that, please. All right? that, those are some of the most powerful words mentioned in the Bible. If you have any doubt as to the divinity of Jesus Christ, he just ended it right there. I am. Anyone who was a Jew knew that the words I am came from God himself. When Moses asked them, who should I say sent me? You tell them, I am that I am sent you. It's like, oh my God, Lord, I am that I am. And who should I, we say? And, and Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, now I want you to understand something. He's right there. He's within a few feet of them. At this, their mind is exploding with hatred, with hatred and vitriol. And so what do they do? At this, they picked up stones to stone him, kill him right there, kill him right there. But Jesus heard from God, all right? Uh, and, and, and it's, and, and, but Jesus hid himself, hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, what was this, a magical trick? What, did he go behind a curtain? What, did he go into a trap door? He's right there. It is the power of God that made him invisible. As simply as that. I can't give you some physical uh, explanation. The law of physics, how could this have happened? All I know is they're there with stones ready to kill him, and he disappears. So if you think that they weren't afraid of him, then you're not studying scripture, okay? You're not studying scripture. Uh, and this is a third time, there's a third time that they try to arrest Jesus. Again, look at uh, chapter 10. 
Uh, and again, the, the Jewish leaders are, are uh, after Jesus uh, and, and looking to kill him. Verse 33, we are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So there they are with stones in their hand, telling him, you claim to be God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Oh, Lord, we come to understand that. Jesus and one united together, the Father in the Son, the Son in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. What is it with this Jesus? We can't grab him. We can't arrest him. We can't control him. Now do you understand their fearfulness? Now do you understand why they paid Judas the money? And now when Judas says he's ready to give up, he's ready to give up. He said he's ready to die. Oh, then the time has come. We can do it. Uh, and so it's important to understand this. And so when you study this, and, you, and, I, want, and I firmly want to do this because so many of us have come out of traditions where, where effectively we've blamed the Jews for killing Jesus. We blame the Romans for killing Jesus. Let me tell you something. Jesus willingly allowed his life to be taken. God willingly sent Jesus to the cross. Evil men participated in it. The Jews were evil. The Romans were evil. There's enough evil to go around, all right? There's enough evil to go around. But there would not have been a crucifixion had not Jesus willingly gone to the cross. Can I get an amen on that? All right, so now, now, as this is coming to a head, the other thing that I want you to recognize uh, is that uh, and anybody who studies the events of the last couple days of Jesus' life carefully will recognize that it's all rushed. It's rushed. This is all coming together far too fast. They couldn't have prepared. The trial was sloppily prepared. The evidence was horrible. They're lucky that, they, that, that, that Caiaphas asked the question uh, that, that, that Jesus would not lie, but all the evidence was bad. The law, people were lying. It just was too quick, and they were rushing because they didn't want the, the death to impact the Passover, all right? They didn't want to impact the Passover. They got to get this all done before Saturday, all right, before sundown Friday night, it's got to be all done, wrapped up in one neat bow because we have our rituals and our traditions. And so you understand this and you see this. Uh, and so it's, it's unbelievable how fast and how sloppy this takes place. Uh, it's all rushed. The hearing, the first hearing was at night. It was at night, which was illegal under Jewish law regarding capital cases. How about that? If you were going to expose someone to death, you couldn't have a hearing at night. They had a hearing at night. It was also apparent from the fact that in order to try Jesus' case, Pilate was a, a prevailed upon to come out of his palace early on what would normally not have been a trial day. 
He comes out of his palace on a day that's not a trial day, and they're importuning him to effectively declare Jesus dead in a capital matter. Again, rushed against the law that time. Judicially, the case itself was a blunder, for it was obviously failing. The case is failing until Caiaphas himself hit upon the illegal but brilliant stroke of interrogating the witness himself. How about that? The high priest, who is supposed to be the chief religious pillar, decides to interrogate the witness himself. The result was that when challenged in the name of Jehovah, Jesus declares his divinity. I want you to turn to that so that you can recognize again how Jesus is in control. This is it. They don't have the evidence. They don't have anything. Matthew 26, verse 63. Start with verse 62. All right, we'll start with 59. We've got some background. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence, underline that, against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. How do you like that? Oh, some more evidence. No, not good. False, liars, not good. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God to tell us if you are Christ, the son of God. Oh, wow. Here it is. The moment in history, the moment that God had foreordained, the very manner in which Jesus would finally indict Jerusalem and Israel and all of the religious elite. I charge you to tell us if you are Christ, the son of God. Jesus says, yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you in the future, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now as you have heard the blasphemy. He is worthy of death. And so there it is. When God himself testifies in truth, I am God. I am the son of the living God. That was the evidence that they needed. That is effectively what convicted Jesus. That is why he goes to the cross. He goes to the cross not for any illegal act, but for effectively testifying to what he was, who he was, and what his mission was. And so I want you to understand something. You see it all coming together. Jesus is in control. That was the moment that God had foreordained, the moment that he would testify as to who he was. What a powerful, powerful testimony of who who God is and who Jesus is. So don't ever think that Jesus was taken captive against his will. Don't ever think that Judas went behind Jesus' back and, and put together this plan. Jesus was in control that entire last week. All of the events were controlled by Jesus to lift up to this moment where Jesus would ultimately be sacrificed on the cross and the sacrifice would take place a day before Passover that the sheep who would be sacrificed for the Jewish ritual of Passover would be bleeding and buying in the background as Christ is nailed to the cross. 
and it never dwelled in their heart to think, is it possible? Is it possible that God has foreordained this, that he is the sacrifice once and for all? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this vision of that day, Lord. I thank you for for the words that you've given us that pull back the curtain, that allow us to look back at what you did for us on that day, how you willingly walked to the cross, how you willingly gave up yourself to evil men, Lord, because you knew what the scriptures said and how we needed one sacrifice once and for all blameless God himself on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for this. We ask you, Father, that these words resonate in our heart this week as we think about what a great God you are and how much you've loved us. And I ask you, God, to protect our people, be with them, help us to grow, help them to grow spiritually in every way and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.